Welcome to Happy to Be Here, a mental health podcast normalizing who talks about mental health and how we talk about it. I'm not actually sure how to introduce this conversation because it exists in a lane of its own. This week, I'm truly in conversation with Rabbi Steve Leader, the author of The Beauty of What Remains and For You When I Am Gone, which is now available in workbook form. We talk about grief, its long tail, and its duality, about me turning 30, about what he's learned about resolution versus acceptance, and I guess about what life looks like when you live like you matter. I'm Vivian, this is Happy to Be Here, and here's my conversation with Rabbi Steve Leader. I would love for you to introduce yourself to everyone who is listening. I, like I said, have had the pleasure of knowing you previously and I'm a fan of your work. I think that you have such a wonderful perspective on grief and just how people process life in general. Give me a little recap of who you are and why we're here today with these two books. My name is Steve Leader, and I am the senior rabbi of a very large and unusual uh, congregation in Los Angeles called Wilshire Boulevard Temple. I have been there my entire rabbinic career. I've been there for 36 years. And in addition, uh, when I was an undergrad, I studied writing at Northwestern. I've always been interested in writing, and writing is a very important tool uh, in the world in which I well and, and try to make a difference. So I've spent a lot of time working on my writing. Next week, I will be celebrating my 37th wedding anniversary to my wife, Betsy, to whom... I got engaged on our second date, and we've been through a lot together. My work is primarily about trying to understand and make more beautiful the human condition. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be a humane human being? What, What does it mean to feel and to love and to lose and to grow? So I've written mostly about what we learn through adversity, through loss. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big believer in what Kafka said when asked what the meaning of life was. And Kafka said, the meaning of life is that it ends. Mm -hmm. And it's so clear and simple and true and powerful. The, the challenge, of course, is to live with that reality without being in the dark, without being discouraged by it, but encouraged by it. So I've done a lot of work and thinking around that. Which can be hard, I think, right? It's a human instinct to feel very afraid. We were talking right before I record about turning 30, and I think one of my biggest fears, even though I've experienced grief from a young age when I lost my mom, when I... I was 10 years old and she was 44. I think the older I got, the more the fear of dying young happens, the more of knowledge of it'll be 20 years for her death anniversary in January. This overarching feeling of of loss and end made a milestone like turning 30 scarier just in the notion of, oh, I am getting older. And then having to kind of bring myself back from that to a place of that is a beautiful thing that I am afforded that a lot of people aren't. That my mom at 44 stopped, right? And so I think that reframing takes work. 
And you have done a beautiful job in all your writing to encapsulate that human cycle. Yes. And yes, and thank you for that. Mm -hmm. But yes, and I don't think it's possible to be 10 years old, to be a 10 year old little girl whose mother dies and not have that rippling through the rest of your life. Yes. And there is a time to suppress it, deny it. By the way, in your 30s and 40s, there's, a, there's an appropriate denial of death to begin with. Because if you don't live to some degree in the denial of death, <laughs> yeah. then it thwarts your ambition. Right? There is a time to suppress that, to, to kind of lock it in the basement of your subconscious as much as possible and not live in its mm -hmm. shadow. But then there becomes this shift when living in that shadow is actually proof of the light of love, right? You, you can't have a shadow unless there's light still shining, mm -hmm. right? Think about that. A shadow is proof of light. It, it, it's just obstructed by grief, mm -hmm. by pain, whatever it is that's obstructing that light and that power. But I'm saying this to you because my... My daughter's best friend, her mother died of stomach cancer when she was 10, and so was my daughter. And this woman was also my wife's best friend. So it, it was a tremendous shock to our family system, to our little girl. And of course, I was stepping in as both friend and rabbi. Right. So I was feeling that duality of the rabbi doing his job to take care of people and the friend who was grieving and whose daughter's mm -hmm. world was rocked and whose wife's world was rocked. And, and a lot of my work too is about that duality between Steve Leader, the rabbi, and Steve Leader, the son, the husband, the father, the friend. Mm -hmm. And you would know better than I but I think it's just an unrealistic expectation that we're not affected by death at a young age. And you said something very interesting to me before we hit record mm -hmm. when we were talking about your 30th birthday. And you said, I've always felt older than my chronological, yeah. age, chronological age. So let me tell you something that I say to parents mm -hmm. who are worried about their young children experiencing death up close. This is what I would have said to your dad mm -hmm. after your mom died and he came to me and said, Steve, I'm, I'm really worried. I'm, I'm really, really worried about her. I would have said, did your dad have a nickname for you? What's your dad call you? I was raised by my uncle, actually. Um, my uncle and my grandma. Well, what did your uncle call you? Viv. Viv. It was Viv or Vivi. Okay, yeah. Vivi. So let's say your uncle was sitting down with me to prepare for the funeral for your mom. Mm -hmm. And he said, Steve, I'm really worried about Vivi. Mm -hmm. I would have said to him, she's going to grow up with an old soul now. Mm -hmm. She will have an old soul. And that's a very beautiful thing to have. Is it worth it? No. But I promise you, this is not going to be worthless 
for Vivi. Yes. We'd all like her mother back, but this is not yep. going to be worthless. You're going to have an old soul. And even that is a beautiful thing, but also kind of an unfair thing for a 10-year-old little girl. 100%. This is where my mind's going. I know you like these rambling conversations, so welcome to my world. <laughs> when I was 22 years old, mm -hmm. I was living in Israel, and I went to hear a, a lecture, a talk, by the youngest child to survive Auschwitz. Oh, wow. He went in when he was six years old, and he survived. The first thing he said in his speech was, there were no children in Auschwitz. The minute you walk through those gates, mm -hmm. you became an adult. So childhood is not really so much about our chronological age as about the trauma we experience and when we experience it. Mm -hmm. Because it's the gatekeeping of the experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it, it propels you through childhood at lightning speed. You were propelled through your childhood mm -hmm. when your mom died at lightning speed, which is why I think you feel and do have an old soul. I would 100% agree. I think that my comfort level with turning 30, there was a little bit of a surprising factor of like, yes, there were obvious things that I think someone else my age would experience, but there was also a comfort in that. I feel like I've felt like this my whole life. So it's like, yes. I'm just catching up to me. Yes. And that collective experience of being human and, and having that old soul, like you mentioned prior, is the erasure of a childhood, but the, the room to then find meaning. I don't think everything happens for a reason, but I do think that you give reason to everything that happens. And when you are very young and you experience these things, so much of that becomes why I started a podcast, why exactly. I write about the things I write about, right? Exactly. And so there's a route there that I wouldn't have had without, and again, like you said too, totally not worth it, right? Like I would have found my way probably with my mom if she would still be alive and yes, found my way of to write you in would a different have. way. Yes. But you find it within the thread that yeah, you do and, have to. You know, I say to people all the time that if you have to go through hell, and we all do, you know, there are many mm -hmm. forms of hell, not just death, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's the hell of aging. There's the hell of a kid in trouble. There's the hell of cancer. There's the hell of mental illness. Um, there's the hell of addiction. There's a hell of divorce. Mm -hmm. We all go through hell, but the point is not to come out empty-handed. If you have to go through hell, don't come out empty-handed. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference between being a victim versus finding purpose. And sometimes the purpose finds you. Sometimes you actively have to work for the purpose. But that's why I called one of those two books you held up, The Beauty of What mm -hmm. Remains. That's our choice. That's the mm -hmm. choice we have. We can allow death to help us more deeply appreciate all the beauty that remains because death mm -hmm. strips away so much. It just strips the bark off of you, but there's still a lot of beauty that remains. And sometimes in relief, it's even more beautiful. Like my relationship with my father 
since his death is in many ways more more beautiful than it was mm -hmm. in life. My relationship with my father through his Alzheimer's disease, which was 10 years, was in some ways more beautiful than before. Mm -hmm. And of course, in many ways, heartbreakingly sad and ugly. It's both. The older I get, the more I appreciate the duality that is fundamental to the human experience. We hum, To be human, I think, is to dwell kind of on the high wire of tension between so many dualities. The duality of life and death. The duality of love and loss. The duality of memory, by the way. Mm -hmm. You know, rabbi, I suppose all clergy, but I know rabbis best. Mm -hmm. they, they say all this bullshit about memory. I said it too before mm -hmm. my dad died. May her memory be a blessing. You'll always have your mom in your memory. You know, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. fine. Yes. Memory is beautiful. But it also really, really hurts sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's both. It's both. It's a blessing and a curse. All I want to do is remember and all I want to do is forget. All I want to do is talk about my dad and all I want to do is not think about him at all because it's so painful. So there, there are all of these dualities, you know, the duality between ambition, which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And being at peace and, and being, feeling rich because you're satisfied with what you have and what you have accomplished. Mm -hmm. So all this duality, and the older I get, the more I realize, loosening our grip on trying to resolve these dualities and working harder at making peace with these dualities, mm -hmm. right? Making peace with the fact that there was an irreconcilable difference yes. between memory that hurts and memory that's beautiful. Like you cannot resolve that duality. So it is for me, so wild that right? you say that. But mm -hmm. and so for me, when I make peace with what cannot be resolved, with the tension that cannot be resolved, I love my parents, I hate my parents. I love my parents, mm -hmm. I hate my parents, right? Making peace with the fact that these dichotomous tensions cannot be resolved is a resolution. And for me, yes. I think that in my life has been the most important emotional ground I have ever gained. So it's really interesting that you say that because not a month ago. So like I was saying before, my mom's death anniversary is coming up in January. It'll be 20 years. And in trying to piece her together more, I've learned more about her as a human than I had in the previous 20 years. And in trying to fit this human version of her that I hadn't understood prior into who I believed her to be, I realized I spent my whole life trying to reconcile her loss and reconcile not having her and reconcile who I thought she was. And it sent me into this identity spiral of like, 
there is no way to ever reconcile this. I looked up the word. The definition was to bring these two things together to make it make sense and fit. And I was like, in no reality will it ever fit that I grew up without a mom, that my mom died young, that she lived life the way she'd had to live life. And so then it arrived at this point of, then all I have left to do is learn how to accept this with the grace of knowing that I will never be able to fully feel peace, but that I can strive for it constantly. Yes. The wildness of having you bring this conversation up and knowing that like for me, that has been the most solid ground I feel like I have ever stood on when it comes to her loss in the last 20 years was having that little moment of journaling of just like, what is the actual definition of reconciliation there? And actually, I will never be able to achieve that. Which <laughs> so is, I will stop trying. Yeah. Yes, but that is a, a reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And that is an old soul. And that is the most mature and mindful way I think any of us can can ennoble mm-hmm. our pain. You know, um, Dostoevsky said that his greatest fear was that his life would not be worthy of his suffering. I think that's such a powerful mm-hmm. idea. Can you be worthy of the suffering you have endured. Your mother was beautiful in life. Mm-hmm. Can you find ways to make her beautiful in death? And that is a tall ask for anyone, not just not me in this moment, but it's because you, like you said, those memories come up and they're bitter and they're sweet and they're hard and they're easy and they're lovely to have and a reminder of the gaps. And there are so many things that are revealed in a new in a relationship after the passing of someone yes that 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 I it's why conversations like this have always felt impactful for me because it is the way through for so many who are just starting the path it's the way through for me as I'm in the middle of my path and and I think that your writing as I've read it has also been a very guided way to just open up the question. I mean, your book, your latest book is literally about questions. And I think that that is a peeling back of the onion in ways that we don't have to be afraid to do. Yes. And Mm -hmm. it is about getting to the truth of a person's life, not the facts. Mm -hmm. You know, the facts. Can you explain that difference? Sure. So I used to teach a class at the seminary called homiletics, which is the fancy word for how to write sermons wedding addresses, Mm -hmm. and eulogies. And when I get to the eulogy section for the class, I would come in and write on the board, an obituary is the facts. Mm -hmm. A eulogy is the truths. So, for example, if I tell you I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota on June 3rd in 1960, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't tell you anything about me other than my age. If I tell you that my parents had five kids before they were 30, were completely overwhelmed by the task, mm-hmm. and that the synagogue was the one place where I felt seen, now you know a truth about me. Mm-hmm. This book, For You When I Am Gone, is meant to help people tell 
their truth, to articulate their truth for their loved ones. Yes, for when they're gone, but it also does something else. You go through these 12 questions and you answer them. Yes. Had your mother done this, she would have left you something that would have helped you really mm -hmm. grasp her truths. And I have a suggestion for you in a minute about that. But she would also have had this, what I call a, a like an internal MRI, an MRI of her internal life. Mm -hmm. And then you get to hold that up to the light and ask yourself what, in my opinion, is the most important question a person can ask of oneself, which is, okay, this is what I say my truth is. This is what I say I believe. Am I living that way? Or is my life mostly pretend? Mm -hmm. We're all pretending a little, all of us. I remember saying to my psychiatrist once, I feel like the minute I leave my front door, I'm acting. I'm on stage. And he mm -hmm. said, well, you are. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> people need you to act your role. They need you to play a role. You're a symbolic exemplar for people. They need that, and you're giving them what they need. And yeah, there's some kabuki involved in it. And I, I remember mm -hmm. saying, you mean that's okay not to be totally authentic? He said, Steve, if everyone was totally authentic, there wouldn't be two friends in the world. Like, <laughs> you know, if everyone said what they thought, they're Mm -hmm. society would implode. So some of it's okay. But the, the unhappiest people I know are people who are not aligned with their fundamental truths. They're not living their mm -hmm. truths. Their professed values and lived values are divergent. So you ask these 12 questions, you answer them. Yes, you're giving a real gift to the people you love for when you're gone, but you're also giving mm -hmm. yourself a really important opportunity. And I have a suggestion for you, which is based on something um, I recommended to a friend of mine. So I, I have a really good mm -hmm. friend whose husband died early on in the COVID, in the pandemic uh, of COVID, before we really knew much mm -hmm. about it. And it left her a young, a young widow of a six-month-old little boy. Mm -hmm. And she was, you know, she's in her, what's in her mid thirties mm -hmm. and alone in LA. When this book came out, she interviewed me for a talk show that she's, she's on. And mm -hmm. when we went to commercial, she leaned over to me. She said, Steve, I just, I just wish, I wish Nick had done this for Elvis, the little boy's name. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you do it for Nick. You understood, Nick, as well as anyone. Take these questions and answer them for Elvis the way you believe Nick would have answered them. And also mm -hmm. ask Nick's parents and ask his brother to answer these questions for Elvis as they believe Nick would have answered them. Mm -hmm. Is it perfect? No. But will you, will you learn a lot? Yes. Will Elvis, when he's older, learn a lot? Yes. Mm -hmm. Like instead of, for example, if you just, you know, saying mm -hmm. to your uncle or whomever who knew your mom well, like, tell me about mom. What was she like? If you ask with more specificity, like, hey, what, what do you think her greatest regret was? Mm -hmm. How do you think she defined what it means to be a good person? 
what made her happy? If you get down to the specificity mm -hmm. of these questions, I think you'll discover a lot of really beautiful things that you would not otherwise have known. Because mm -hmm. just tell me about, when I sit down with a family to prepare them for a funeral and to get what I need to write mm -hmm. a eulogy that's the truth, I don't sit down and just say, tell me about your mom. I get granular. Mm -hmm. What pissed her off? Who was the disciplinarian? If she had the whole day to herself, it, the whole day, day and night, what was her mom's first name? Dahlia. Dahlia? Dahlia. D-A-L-I-A. Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. What does it mean? Thank you. Do you know I actually don't know. Oh, no. you should find out. Anyway, mm -hmm. if I said to Dahlia, mm -hmm. Delia, you have the whole day and whole night. It's all yours. You have no responsibilities. Do whatever makes you happy. How would she have spent that day? Mm -hmm. You'll learn a lot. And it'll be beautiful. So there is a, um, an exploration that can continue for the rest of your life. And by the way, it happened to you far too young, but there is a point mm -hmm. at which we all investigate and discover that our parents were just people. Yeah, I think this is the year that happened for me in discovery of a lot of things. And I, it's something I had been thinking about often because I think a lot of people have that trajectory as they're getting to know their parents more. And so it kind of, unwinds naturally and I had it more of a of a stark understanding of it very all of a sudden and yes. I think there is something magical in that once you step aside from like the earthquake of it of being like no my mom was my mom but also a human yes. um, it draws you closer right yes yeah. I think you know talking about therapy I one of the things that she told me most recently was you know, this has definitely been a hard season for you in processing what you learned about your mom. But at the same time, it gave you your mom back. I didn't feel like I had her the way I have her now. And that I think when I picked up the book was something that I really thought about too, because it was that you can still have room to discover someone and re-situate them into your life as you're getting older and understanding yourself better. It's a gift that I didn't think I would be able to continue to give myself gift your mother continues to give you. Mm -hmm. And that's wild, right? Because I think, I mean, you grew up as a kid who without a mom and a lot of your teen years are spent in the, this is so not fair, why don't I have a mom? And that's just natural, mm -hmm. I think, stage. And to then be almost 30 and be like, wait, I have a mom and she still keeps giving in this yes. way where love cannot be finite because it was always present is a beautiful kind of reminder. Yeah, that's why I called that second to last mm -hmm. book, The Beauty of What Remains. Because we continue to discover and live with the people we love who have died. Mm -hmm. And they continue to inform us, by the way, also biologically in your very DNA. Yeah. But you're going to dis discover and understand your mother as you grow older, too. Um, if, if, when... I, just, mm -hmm. I really hope it's when for you, you have a baby and you're going to hold that baby 
you're going to rediscover your mother. Oh, this is how she must have felt. Wow. Yeah. My mom felt this for me. Wow. That is so yeah. beautiful. You know? So, I have an older brother who's uh-huh. 11 years older, and he has um, four kids. And him and I have been talking about my mom a lot, just given the anniversary we're approaching. And he was like, you know, she loved, we're 11 years different. He's older. And so mm-hmm. he was much older when I was yeah. born, right. um, enough to un- remember. And so he's like, you know, she was, she had fun with me. I was her first kid and stuff, but like you were a girl and like, she was a girly girl and that oh, yeah. was a different mom than than I had, he says, because she she loved dressing you up. And it even something as simple as I've always known her to be a girly girl from photographs and what I remember. But when he said that, it unlocked this new memory in me of like, wait, I never repeated an outfit in any of my childhood pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and we were not of means, right? Yeah, we were yeah. not a family with a lot of money. <laughs> but, but she made and sure like, that this happened. woman got creative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that was such a lovely recontextualizing of pictures I've seen endless amount of times. Yeah. But it was this moment of like, wait, you are really right. Like, I don't remember ever. And I'm like, and my most traumatizing quote unquote memories of her, her trying to comb my hair and her trying to put earrings on me. And I'm yeah. like, this makes so much sense. Doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 And you, by the way, I didn't know you had a brother who was 21 when your mom died. Mm-hmm. Ask him to answer these questions in the book. I know. That's what I, I was going to gift him the book this he weekend. Can, yeah. He can answer them for you. Mm-hmm. As a 21-year-old, he can answer them. And and it's going to be a great journey. And, you know, it's interesting what your therapist said about getting your mother back. Sometimes when I am sitting with a family and we're dealing with a, a death where the person's life was fundamentally changed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like in my dad's case, he had Alzheimer's for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So my dad died twice. He died once when he was no longer the man who was my father. Mm -hmm. He was a different person. And then he died physically about three or four years after that. And one of the, this is one of the beautiful things about memory. Mm -hmm. It, It enables us to go back before the disease, before the cancer, before the car accident, before the paralysis, before the dementia. And bring that person back to life. Also, when I'm dealing with a person who's suffering, mm-hmm. you know, at, at, at some point, most people's lives diminish to the size of a rented hospital bed at home. I mean, that, yes. that, that's kind of how we, we shrink into the concentric circle. I've never heard it said that well, but yes. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I do when someone is essentially limited to that much square footage is I take them on a mental vacation with their family in the room. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll, I'll do it with you for a minute, okay? Mm-hmm. And you can just pass on any of these questions you don't want to answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Vit, do you mm-hmm. remember, do you remember the first boy you ever had a crush on? I do. His name was Alberto in elementary school. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah. And, and like, what was it about Alberto? I 
just thought he was cute. I was also, I want to say in like the third or fourth grade. And he was probably the first boy that I was really like, oh, he's cute. And he was very sweet to me. And I was a very shy kid. Mm. And so I think that that for me was a big, um, something I was very attracted to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was the best trip, vacation trip you ever took in your life? If you got to do one again, which one would it be? Mm -hmm. We, I mentioned this prior, but we weren't of many means. Mm -hmm. My mom was a single mom, um, worked six days a week. And even to this day, I cannot believe that she found ways to take my brother, me and my cousin to Disney World when I was eight. Wow. And it was like, we were there for days. We did all the parks and like, I have a vivid memory of my brother and my cousin were much older. They were about the same age. And I was little and I was short, so I couldn't ride a lot of the rides, um, a lot of the rides that they were riding. And I remember um, her and I standing at the bottom when they went up the, it was like the, whatever the elevator one is that goes all the way up and then drops down. And her and I were standing down there waiting for them to get off the ride. And she was like, I swear I heard them scream. They're so, they're chickens. They were, they definitely screamed. And... It is like one of the funniest moments of camaraderie I remember between her and I because I was so upset that I couldn't ride this thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah they definitely screamed. Yeah. They didn't even enjoy that ride. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> yeah. And it was like such a sweet moment of camaraderie between us. Yeah. Um, that it was a woman thing too, imagine. right? You're making fun of these yeah. male, of these m- macho, boys. macho yeah. cowards, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would do that one. A million times over. Do you feel what just happened? Yeah, there was a lightness to that moment and a joy and a... I enjoyed telling you that story. Yeah. hmm Yeah. And so this is a very beautiful way to experience and re-experience. And because the centrifuge of life is always spinning us away from mm-hmm. something we care about, we don't do this enough. We don't do it enough. And by the way, just from a religious mm-hmm. perspective, this is what the daily mourner's prayer and lighting a candle on the anniversary of the death and lighting. There are, there are mm-hmm. four other specific times in Judaism when we light a candle to remember people we love mm-hmm. who have died. It, it is essentially like, okay, Viv, Let's stop. Let's put all of our other ambitions aside. Mm -hmm. Let's just tell some stories and remember Mm -hmm. all that beauty that remains. And again, I'm not telling you it's worth it, but there's a lot there. And in some ways, it's even more beautiful than in life. There's a sweetness to it. I think that... And the edges get rounded. Yes. You know, the sharp edges mm-hmm. get, in the case of my father, who, if you, you know, I know you've read the books, it, it, it was not an easy person. And I was afraid of him as a kid. And memory has definitely kind of sanded the rough edges, rounded the sharp corners in a good way, in a good way. And as I grow older, which is what we were talking about before, as I experience life as the father of a 33 and 30 year old, I have a lot better and deeper sense of gratitude and appreciation for what my parents were going through. I always, 
say parents who are worried about their kids, I, I always say to them, behind every successful child is a totally astonished parent, right? Because, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because we worry. Now I get it. Now I get what my parents were worried about when I told them, no, I, I don't want to run Leader Brothers Medal. I want to be a rabbi. The first thing my father mm -hmm. said to me was, rabbis are beggars. Why would you do that? And I, I hated that until I realized, you know what my dad was really saying? I'm worried you're not going to be able to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that until I had kids. I have a 30-year-old daughter and a 33-year-old son, and I'm freaking worried that they're not going to be able to take care of themselves. And now I get what my dad was saying. He said it harshly and crudely, like he said everything else. And I think it goes back to what I was saying about a shadow. You know that 23rd Psalm, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. I've always loved that verse because of the poet's choice to compare loss to a shadow. Because mm -hmm. as I said, a shadow, no matter how long or dark it is, it's actually proof of light. Mm -hmm. you, you cannot have a shadow unless the light is shining. It'd be total darkness if there was no light. It wouldn't be a shadow. Mm -hmm. The shadow is proof that there's something very powerful and warm and light and beautiful behind it all. And there is. It's also, I think, the trajectory of grief. I've always seen it as that, right? I think that when grief first jumps into your life, it is dark and it is just pitch black darkness. But I think that the brighter that you get as a human navigating whatever that journey looks like for you, you are the one that is very much casting a shadow and the grief gets longer and it gets, and it's always present, but it is different. And I think that, that yes. visual is a really great one for anyone who's coping because it is, you know, I'm 20 years, will be 20 years into navigating what grief looks like without my mom. And it, there are seasons when that is easier, seasons when that is harder, but it's always yeah. been present. And I think in some ways, good that it is, because without it, there is an even bigger emptiness. Then you're coming out empty handed, right? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to ask you this when we were going on our mental vacation and I forgot. Yeah. Do you, have, do you have a favorite picture of your mom? I do. It is a picture of her and I, um, and I must be like, three or four and we are on laying down on a bed horizontal and I'm like on top of her and we're both just laughing and there are Legos all around me. And it's one of the few pictures, one of the only pictures actually that I have of her actually laughing with me in the picture. Um, I grew up in a Latino family where they don't smile in pictures. Everyone is just very ah. stoic and angry. <laughs> and every single picture I have with her, she's just like stoic. She's a beautiful woman. She's just stoic and angry. And I'm like, wow. Um, and that one picture, you can feel like the love emanating off of it. And my and brother how much actually. fun recently, you guys were having, right? Yes. And it was actually really interesting. My brother recently. Um, asked me for that picture because he said it's his, his his favorite of us too. He said he actually took it, which I didn't know. Wow. And then he said, you know, that's what she would do every day before work or in the days when she wasn't working. She would just play with you. 
and you guys would just have fun. And again, it's that recontextualizing with more information of a picture that I had always loved with even more added meaning now that I knew he took it, which feels very, it's the string that yes. tied us three together. And then just capturing of that specific moment. And that was a deliberate moment. Yes. She made that moment happen. Mm-hmm. Right? She she planned to she planned to play. Yeah. She was deliberate in giving you joy. Yes. And what mm. the Legos tell me is she was also deliberate in giving you joy on your level, not hers. Mm-hmm. Right? That's such a beautiful like I didn't think about that. Yes. Think about mm-hmm. that. It was Legos. You weren't, you know, doing I don't know grown-up things mm-hmm. you weren't like I, I i deal with adult children whose parents die and they said what'd you do with your dad when you were young oh, he used to drag me around to look at empty lots before he would buy them mm-hmm. to build the houses on them like they that person wasn't dialed into their kid mm-hmm. your mom was on the bed playing legos that's that a, is actually you're making me cry that's very beautiful yeah i hadn't held it in that way yeah mm-hmm. she was a great mom she fun. was, yeah. And she was fun, and she yeah. was um. But to bring the conversation full circle, as we start wrapping up, my birthday was yesterday, and because of this like new version of like humanizing her, it was a rough one. I think also because of that, and I was thinking the night before my birthday, I feel the way I felt when I turned eleven, and she wasn't around, and it was the first birthday I didn't have her, and I was trying to think about why, and it's because. With the very little we had, I don't remember ever having a specific present from her, but I remember every birthday because she made it an experience because there was always a birthday cake because my friends were always over and they were all, they were always taking home the best goodie bags and she liked making moments. Well, and that's a very wise think, woman yeah. because, because had it been about things, you would have none of them today. Yes, exactly. And and I was holding that yesterday when I was turning 30 and I was just like, you know, we're different. She definitely likes to throw a party and I like to not be in them. <laughs> so we're introverted and extroverted in different ways. But I, I value experiences more than I do anything else. Like I was telling you, we went away for a cat to a cabin all weekend, my boyfriend, our dog and I. And we just spent time together. And that for me was, that for me was turning 30. Um, so that's. And it brings us full circle. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Because no. mm-hmm. um, it's who we have, not what we have. Yeah. That matters. And, and, and time is the one thing that is indestructible. Mm-hmm. Can't be destroyed. It's. You know, just to get a little like, again, you know, I am a rabbi, so uh, <laughs> the first time the word holy is used in the Bible mm-hmm. is not in relation to a thing or a place. The first time the word holy is used in the Bible is about the Sabbath, which is about time. It's about the detachment from things to mm-hmm. be in the moment with the people you love. That's the first time the word holy is used. Things are not holy. Moments are Mm -hmm. sacred. Moments are sacred. There's a chapter in one of my books called Nobody Wants Your Crap. 
<laughs> and I meant it both ways, right? But mm-hmm. but actually, I don't even know if you can see this, and I know this is a podcast and not, but do you see all this stuff? Yeah. This is crap I'm getting rid of. It means nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, I would have like fallen on a sword to keep this stuff. We come in holding nothing and we leave holding nothing. And and look, I like nice things as much as the next guy. Okay. I like, you know, I don't know. I like old Petey Scotch and I mm-hmm. but what I really like is not the scotch, it's drinking it with my friends. Mm-hmm. Or one of the saddest memories of my life was when my dad died and I went down into the basement of their house and all of his stuff was in a pile on the floor. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted it. And when my mom asked me to take whatever I wanted, I'm going to show you this. And this is the only thing I, I took from my dad, from my dad. This, I took this from his mm-hmm. toolbox. It's an old collapsible measuring stick. And I took this, by the way, this is probably worth zero on eBay, mm-hmm. zero. <laughs> but to me, it's priceless because this, this is all about going to work with my dad on Saturday mornings to fix the things mm-hmm. that were wrong with his buildings. And like, I was the scrub nurse and he was the surgeon. He'd say, mm-hmm. hand me the wrench, hand me the hammer, hand me the measuring stick. And, and it reminds me of like being a man with my dad when I was mm-hmm. eight, nine, ten years old. Like, this is manly. It's like watching your dad shave in the morning when you're a little mm-hmm. kid. It's like, that is the most grown-up thing I have ever seen in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. So this is worthless and priceless. At the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another duality. I can keep going on this conversation forever, but for the sake of time, I will be respectful of it and leave us here. But as as we are wrapping it, what are the things you want people to leave this conversation with? And then also, where can they find you on the internet amongst all things? Let's start with that. People can find me on Instagram. It's Steve, S-T-E-V-E underscore leader, L-E-D-E-R. That's probably the best way. I also have a website, steveleader.com. You can always find me through Wilshire Boulevard Temple in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. They're, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. And what do I want to leave people with? Mm-hmm. That you matter. You matter. And we all have the opportunity to live like it. That's so good. <laughs> That is so good and so meaningful. And I hope whoever hears that and needed to hear that takes it with them because I know I will. Thank you so, so much, Rabbi Steve Leader. You're welcome. Thank you. I'll add all of Steve's books and links to our show notes. Don't forget to rate, review, or share. Happy to be here with a friend if you can. I hope you met me a little more through this conversation because I know I did. And I hope you felt like Rabbi Steve Leader was a guiding force for 30-something odd minutes because that's how I felt. I'll catch you next Thursday with a new conversation.